Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. This morning, it's sun is up here, and we have Mr. John A. McNamara from Seattle, Washington, on the line with us this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you today? Good, good, good. How is it out there at 730 in the morning in Washington State? Oh, the sun is just coming up, and we are actually going to, looks like, see the sun today, so that's always a good day. Oh, that's that's good for Seattle. I, I was out there to I don't know two or three months ago, and it between the fire, the smoke and the fires, and the haziness. I don't. I think I saw the sun one day in a week. Uh, so that's good. Going to have sun today. So you are the senior cooperative development specialist at Northwest Cooperative Development Center. That's a mouthful. <laughs> what <laughs> What did you do, and how did you get here? Well, um, yeah, but what we do at, at the center is we um, we work in a three-state area, so Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, and we are sort of general purpose. We work in all the different uh, sectors of co-ops and help people either uh, start co-ops or improve them, and, you know, a big part of our function, uh, I don't necessarily work with this part of, the, of our work, but we help, uh, we work with Rock USA and help convert uh, manufactured home parks. We also focus on helping um, caregivers create home care cooperatives. And then right now, a big part of our work is about conversions of existing businesses into into employee-owned or worker-owned cooperatives. How I got here, I guess um, that's kind of a longer story, but uh, I I spent most of my adult life in Madison, Wisconsin, after growing up in Toledo. And um, I... um, I guess I decided to take what they now call a gap year between uh, being an undergraduate and going to grad school, and I hired on with UNICAB of Madison Cooperative. And when at the hiring, they asked me how long I was going to be there, and I said, probably a year or until I go to grad school, and I just didn't know they hadn't created the graduate program that I wanted to go to yet, and uh, that wasn't created until uh, St. Mary's uh, started their master's in cooperative management. and. And so I stayed with UNICAMP for about 26 years. Uh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. From one year to 26 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit longer than I thought. A little bit. I kind of okay. got the bug. My original plan okay. was to be a professor of literature and English, but uh, once I got into a worker co-op, I did a, a pretty hard pivot and uh, realized that uh, the co-op world was really my calling, not not literature. Literature and English to cooperative. Okay. (laughs) Okay. One year to 26 years. I mean, that's amazing how when you look at you say, this is what I want to be, then you look back and said, what did I do and how did I turn out? And so you wanted to be a professor of literature and English, and you ended up working in Union Cab in Madison, Wisconsin? 
in Madison, Wisconsin. So how did you end up in Madison from Toledo, Ohio? Well, I uh, Toledo, I like to say, is a, a great city to be from, but uh, I didn't really want to stay there. And uh, actually, my father really kind of... Uh, Suggested I, I look at, at out-of-state colleges, and, and I somehow stumbled into Madison. And I just uh, packed my bags and left and did my undergraduate there. And, and yeah, kind of uh, a pretty exciting experience, actually. Uh, at the time, um, my first job was working in a, uh, at the student union, but it was a unionized job. It was the only student union in the country at the time, the Memorial Union Labor Organization. And uh, so that gave me this kind of grounding in um, in the labor world that was pretty interesting for a young person in their you know teens and twenties to be doing contract negotiations and arbitrations and uh, organizing workers was pretty pretty crazy. Pretty crazy good. That's that's a great <laughs> yeah. great place to start from. I mean, a student union that's unionized. Okay, so you. In Madison, somehow you ended up in Madison going to undergrad, and Madison, like today, uh, they just, what do they give, a million dollars a year for five years for worker co-ops. So it's the, you've, you went into the center of the cooperative world by going from Toledo to Madison. And I don't see Toledo being a big cooperative world at all in, in no, Toledo. no, it's not. It is a pretty good labor town, though. They um, They were one of the... Three cities that had uh, uh, general strikes in the uh, in the twenties, a hundred years ago, that helped set up the port uh, unions, and they have a long history of um, you know auto workers and, and everything else. But they don't, yeah. The co-op world is is not as big in Toledo. So I learned. I, that's where I learned about co-ops in Madison. Okay, so at least from high school, like me, I didn't know anything about co-ops, but you learned it in college. I didn't learn about co-ops until I was in my f- late 40s. So at least you got it earlier than I did, this this whole world of, of cooperatives. And now you you got a – did you get a Ph.D. in cooperatives? Well, I got my master's in cooperative management, and then uh, the Ph.D. Is, is in business administration, but my research was in on-worker co-ops. And uh, the Ph.D. program at St. Mary's is uh, kind of a unique program. Allows the students to really go into a lot of different directions. Fantastic. Okay, so you're heavy into conversions at the Northwest Cooperative Development Center, NWCDC. And anybody out there interested in what they're doing, you can look at their webpage, which is nwcdc.coop. Co-op. Okay, I hadn't planned on talking to you about this, but I went into your webpage this morning and I noticed that something pops up that says, "Go to co-ops to buy your your uh, Christmas gift. Your first stop, your second stop, your third stop should be a co-op." <laughs> that was fascinating to me. I like that a lot. Uh, how did that come about, and how is that working? Well. Um have to check in with, with the co-ops. We we wanted to do something to support our um, our local co-ops in our community because um, you know with the pandemic and everything else, uh, it's the the pressure to buy online is already super high. And uh, you know the big winner uh, economically of the pandemic is Amazon. And although Amazon you know is a Washington-based company, we we want to make sure that 
our retail outlets and our co-ops are not being ignored. And uh, especially like Orca Books, which just completed their conversion to a cooperative or Dumpster Values, which is a retail uh, clothing outlet here in, uh, in Olympia. So we wanted to do something to try to raise their presence and let people know there is a co-op option for shopping pretty much for everything. I mean, I think nationally, uh, I know the U.S. Worker, uh, U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops has put out a buying guide, and um, I think it's just hopefully getting people through the giving season, um, you know, uh, to be thinking about the co-op options as, as they are buying their gifts for whichever holiday they're celebrating. And uh, we're thinking about keeping it up all the way through Valentine's Day. It's so I've got <laughs> Orca, O-R-C-A Books Cooperative. You mentioned Dumpster Values, uh, which you get vintage clothing and apparel. Uh, there's Twisted Straight Fibers. Yeah, that's uh, a, uh, a group of um, folks on the peninsula who are trying to create a fiber mill. And uh, they're also fiber artists, so people who take animal fibers to make sweaters and comforters. Uh, and so they uh, are selling their products online, but they're also hoping to raise money to to actually produce a fiber mill as well. Uh, they're coming out in the spring with soil amendments that are designed to uh, use waste uh, waste wool from uh, that you can put in the soil to help your gardens. And so there's all sorts of exciting stuff. We have a lot of diversity out here in the co-op world. It sounds like it. You got a couple of artist gallery, artist gallery, and a splash yeah. art gallery. Right, okay. right, yeah. Oh, and I scroll down, and there's more and more. You even got Equal Exchange on here and Ace Hardware. Okay, all right. I had only seen the top four, and then I decided to scroll down. So you list twelve <laughs> of them right away. Okay, good news. I like that a lot, and so. The U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops has a, has a buying guide also. I'll take a look at that and request that other people do that to see which co-op you can go to to buy, spend your Christmas dollars uh, supporting the cooperative model. Good news. Thank you. So, John, you grew up in, T in Toledo, went to Madison to go to undergrad, Start working in a student union cooperative and found out about labor. Madison has a lot of co-ops. You decided to get a job that you were going to do one year at Union yeah. Cab Co-op. So you were, started working in a cab, C-Cab cooperative, and you were there 26 years. So I guess you were from like 26, 21 years old to 47 years old. You were in this co-op working. Is that kind of like summarize so far where you've been? Pretty much, yes. I kind of stayed in one place. I didn't really have uh, traveling shoes, I guess. And so then you you go off and you get you get a master somewhere in there at St. Mary's. You found out about St. Mary's in Nova Scotia? And yeah, it was actually, uh, I had done a workshop for Cooperation Works. They had asked me to do a workshop for one of their uh, classes in Madison that they, they do annually, and that put me on their mailing list, and uh, they had talked about the master's program in, in, the, you know, in their spring newsletter that I got. And I realized I had two weeks to apply, so I applied in 2005 and uh, had to run around and find professors from 20 years ago to write recommendations. And I was surprised they remembered me, and, um, and then I got a call from Tom Webb inviting me to the program. And 
that kind of uh, changed my life in a really big way. So what year did you get your master's? Um, I, it was a four-year program back then, so I guess I went in 2006 and I uh, graduated in 2010. And then, um, and then uh, four-year the program. program? Where it was at the time it was a four-year program. I think now it's three years. They um, they let us take the summers off, but I think now the students go straight through twelve months a year to knock it out. And so that's a, a but a part-time kind of. It's not a full-time gig. Is that right? Right. It's, it's considered it's considered part-time, and uh, because they they want people who are actually working as as managers or directors in co-ops to be using their workplace as sort of to practice and as a working lab, learning lab, I guess. All right. So I got to believe that you, you learned about this co-ops and you liked them. What about co-ops that drew you to that in the whole labor movement? You know, I think, um, you know, in the labor movement, in the unions, it's, um, you know, in my mind, um, unions are playing defense mostly. And whereas a worker ownership it's it's more that we're we have agency and, and we're we're not having to play defense we're, we're able to actually control and our destiny and um and and work towards the goals the things we want we don't have to fight somebody else for the things we want and i think that's, so that's uh, a good that's the biggest draw so controlling destiny is is cool is huge and we're going to get ready to take our first break and come back and talk about ways of controlling one's destiny through a cooperative. And a union is defense, so I guess a cooperative is offense, just playing the ball game, controlling the destiny. And we'll be right back, so please stay with us so you can learn how to control your destiny by working in a co-op or starting one. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. WOL has been a great partner for seven years now. We're going on our eighth year. Um, they've been a great partner because of that motto you just heard, information is power. Although I tell you, I learned the first month we were on in October from Papa Sin, who is a cooperator in synagogue, he said it's not the information that you get the power. Information is a source of power. You don't get the power until you get into action. You've got to get into action in order to get the power. And so we have John McNamara on the line with us this morning from Seattle, Washington, at the Northwest Corporate Development Center. He's given us information so far about his life and learning about cooperatives as a young person in college and then spending his career in that although he wanted to be a college professor teaching literature and English and found out about co-ops and it changed his whole direction. So, John, what do you do as the Senior Cooperative Development Specialist at NCWC, Northwest NWCDWC? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of so. A little bit of everything. So I, I actually, uh, administratively, I, I help with the website and, and help, get our information out and, and tell our, our story. But um, I work with a number of clients. I think uh, at any given time, I probably have about 15 different co-ops that I'm working with. As a center, we have about 80 different projects at any given time. Uh, we do intakes, so 
usually if, if someone sends a request for assistance through our website at you know, info at, at um, nwcdc.coop, it's usually myself or Diane Gasway, our executive director, who respond. Uh, we've seen a huge uptake in intakes uh, this, since the pandemic started. We've gotten about triple the no, normal number. So it's that keeps me pretty busy. It's just helping people think through their uh, project and then decide how we want to go with it. Uh, we do an academy for co-ops, sort of a, a boot camp for co-op development for, for folks. Uh, we're doing one next year on the, on the Kitsap uh, Peninsula, and then also we might be doing one in the, the city of Olympia uh, that the city wants us to help do. And then we, we take people kind of where they are and figure out what they want, and we help move them through the process to become a co-op. And, and that's everything from... Uh, figuring out the business plan and doing the numbers to make sure it's feasible and to setting up the governance and decision-making structure and then even training around how to hold each other accountable in the organization, how to do strategic planning, how to do long-term budgeting, et cetera. So it's kind of a jack-of-all-trades a little bit. Uh, definitely uh, a lot of things I was doing at Union Cab as a manager and as a director are things I am now helping other people do. So you've got the experience of 27 years at Union, 26 years at Union Cab? 26, And doing all of these different things, management and board director. So you've been both in terms of governance as a board member and management, um, paid staff, paid manager. And so you've got both hats. You've had both hats in that. So how do you, how do you set policy and then how you implement policy? Got it at Union Cab. How many members were there at Union Cab? It kind of depends what what time period you're talking about, but I think when I left, uh, we were right about 250 members, and um, and I know that uh, of course uh, when I left was right when Uber was coming in, so I'm not really sure what the numbers are today, but we've been as big as 270 and as low as you know 24 when the co-op started. So it's so those 24 members are cab owners, they're drivers. That's Actually, Union Cab is really unique. Um, everybody, everybody in the co-op is a member. So whether you're a mechanic or dispatching or uh, doing uh, the bookkeeping or management, everyone is a, is an equal member of the co-op. The, uh, the general manager or the business manager now is the only person who can't serve on the board, but everybody else is. Uh, but they still can vote and are a member. Okay, I, yeah, I'd like to understand that one a little bit more. That sounds very exciting. Okay, so 26 years of knowledge, went off and got your master's in cooperatives at St. Mary's. And then when did you start doing the Ph.D., and when did you get that? I started the Ph.D. in 2011. It's a, long, it's a distance learning program, and I was uh, encouraged to apply by some of the professors in the uh, master's program during our uh, field trip to Mondragon. And um, so basically, uh, it's two years of doing uh, in-residence during the summer for two months in Halifax, and then you do a couple distance classes and then, and then write the dissertation. It took me a little bit longer to do the dissertation than I had hoped, but... Uh, I ended up graduating uh, officially in 2019, and uh, yeah, two years oh, ago, you... actually, almost to the day, I defended my my dissertation. <laughs> so you almost newly minted PhD. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. 
So I've thought about that program. I'm 73 years old. Am I too old to do something like that? I don't think so. I think if you want to go through it, it's an exciting program. Uh, I'll say that. Okay. I'm a, I'll look into that. I've looked into it a little bit. I'll look into it a little bit more. Uh, it's something I, I, I think I would, I would like to do. Okay, so you did your Ph.D., and when did you start working at the Northwest Cooperative Development Center? In 2014. We, we moved out west and, and um, started working, uh, you know, it was part-time at first, but then eventually became full-time. Who's we? Oh, I'm we sorry, my, uh, my partner Becky and I, uh, yeah, I, I kind of joked that we, we had uh, come out here in Olympia to, uh, my stepdaughter went to the Evergreen State College, and when we came out here, we really fell in love with the community, and we had been wanting to, to move west for a while, and so we just decided to make the leap. I kind of joked that when I turned 50, I decided the best way to celebrate was to give up full-time employment and health care and move to a community where I didn't know anyone. <laughs> okay. Okay. Stayed in one place from college to 50. Okay. From, from 17, 18 to 50, you stayed in one place and then started to, to jump ship. Okay, 2014. Do you like that you made that move? Absolutely. I, I think I really am in the right place and doing really what I love. And every day I, I go to work thinking how wonderful it is. It's, uh, it's, uh, this is a pretty incredible place out here, and I didn't realize it, but uh, the, the whole history of, of um, the development of, of, I guess, white settlements in the, in the peninsula were based often on cooperatives. So the city of Port Angeles started out as a cooperative community, as well as a number of <clears throat> communities around the peninsula. And, you know, so it's kind of uh, really baked in here in a lot of sense of, of people working together. But there's also this interesting, um, you know, small libertarian sort of motif as well. So the ideas of, of self-help and self-responsibility, I think, are really baked into the culture. That's very interesting. I'd like to know more about that. There's a lot of Native Americans in that world. I went to National Crop Bank's annual meeting in Seattle, and we had dinner at one of the Native American uh, locations there. I know we had to take a boat out somewhere and went to this to this place, and the food was excellent. And they, they had a, a show about the culture of the Native American culture. And it seemed like uh, there were white settlements, but the Native Americans at least seemed to be very prevalent there. Is that true? That's what I got. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely um, you know this is this is you know their their land. <laughs> we're, we're we're passing through, and uh, and we do and, and we work with a number of the of the tribes on different projects. Um, I'm working with one group right now for setting up some uh, hemp production and processing, and uh, we have another another a number of other projects too that we work with. So we're we're always, uh, I think, cooperation is actually something, and community ownership is something that really resonates with them as well. I really believe that um, cooperation, working together, is the basis of humanity. Because when you look at tribes and and villages, it's where whether it's in Seattle or the, the tribes around, it was everybody had their job to do. And if you didn't do your job, that hurt the whole community. And so this cooperation, self-help, self-determination, it seems to be at the core of humanity to me. I, I haven't I, seen I any agree. research, but that's my belief. 
Right. It's um, you know, I think it's it's uh, you know really about human dignity and uh, and and seeing humans as value in themselves and and that and that that's the basis of cooperation. I, I, Tom Webb, um, who's one of my mentors, uh, you know, he, he often comments that the base of cooperation is that every person is uh, deserves to be loved. Everybody deserves to be loved. Okay, I got to put get that one down. I was getting ready to talk about Dame Pauline Green said that cooperative help people to come out of poverty with dignity, and you're talking about human dignity, and now you said that everybody needs to be loved. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Listen, we're going to come back. We're going to take our second break, and we'll be right back. I want to talk, uh, when we come back, uh, John, I want to talk about some of the research that you've done and and why you've done I think you call it an index report. We'll come back and talk about that. Everybody out there, uh, please stay with us. We'll be right back. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We talk about cooperatives here. We have John McNamara, uh, who's talking to us from Seattle, Washington, this morning. This program is sponsored by the National Cooperative Bank. They've been our sponsor for seven years. Not only have they provided financial support, but they've really helped us. John, they've helped us a lot in sort of giving us directions and support and who we might want to talk to. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. Uh, that related services go throughout everything, including helping organizations like uh, Northwest CDC. I don't know how much they've helped you guys, but I know they've helped other organizations to uh, provide the technical support that's needed. So what we want, what I wanted to talk to you about now, John, is you helped to create something called a co-op index for worker co-ops. What is that, and how did that get started? So the the co-op index is a um, a tool that um, uses surveys, interviews, and policy review to help evaluate the degree to which cooperative embraces uh, the values and principles of cooperation and and how they apply it into their their daily operations and the lived experience of the uh, of the members. It primarily focuses on worker co-ops, uh, but um, you know we hope one day to, to expand it out. Um, so part of this, you know, is allows uh, the co-op to sort of align its actions with uh, with the cooperative identity. Uh, and we it, it kind of came about partially through. Uh, some thinking by the uh, faculty that was engaged is engaged with the St. Mary's uh, Masters in Co-op Management Program, and in 2005-2006, they started thinking about how to uh, how to bring the uh, the co-op identity to life, I guess, and to really make it something more than a, a statement that people refer to, but uh, to see how to to change the concept of management in co-ops to reflect the values and principles of cooperation. And so they brought together uh, some of their academics like Tom Webb and John Schmard and, and Sonia uh, Novkovich and then um, some uh, co-op developers and then practitioners. And I was invited as a student at the time, but also as a practitioner, I was invited to participate and we spent a weekend with 
a organizational uh, psychologist from Poland named uh, Richard uh, Stocky, who had developed this idea on uh, the Open Index, uh, which is about um, you know creating a pathway for agency for workers within organizations, and with him developed sort of the tool by looking at the values, and we brought in not just the um, principles from the statement on the cooperative identity, but also uh, Mondragon's uh, principles as well, and that are somewhat different, that include, uh, you know, uh, subordination of capital and supremacy of labor and, and other unique principles to Mondragon. And we started thinking about how are we going to measure these within within our work co-ops. And we came up initially with a survey that ran 173 questions, I think. It was a pretty long survey. About took about half an hour to complete. And the idea would be is that you would look at the results and separate out the results so that uh, you could see what the leaders in the co-op are thinking and then what the rank and file think. And then through interviews and looking at the policy, try to figure out what whether the policies are really reflecting these values and principles, if they're being followed, and if there's a real difference between the lived experiences of the workers versus what maybe the directors or managers think is happening. And in that way, you can build alignment and the co-op can hopefully, you know, use it for their internal planning and to improve their co-op and make it more succinct or aligned with the, with the values. Okay, so... <laughs> It's a lot. You just said a mouthful or two. <laughs> so let me just say that when I got my MBA, I got it out of Stanford, and and there the the every decision was based on what's the greatest return for in, investors. It was REI. So every time you looked at anything, any option was what's the re, best return for investors. That those are the people that put up the capital, and so the number one variable was. Investors, 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 and I had heard nothing about co-ops. There was no ESOPs around, even um, employee stock option programs. They came later. I graduated in '76. I think the ESOPs came around in the '80s, but I always felt like it wasn't enough emphasis on the workers. Uh, I had worked in Ford by then. I'd worked at Ford for nine months in '66. I took a month off from school, or semester off, and worked that that whole second semester, first part of the year, from January through August, at Ford. And I was in the union, and I saw how the union worked, and they saved my butt a couple times. And I, there was nothing about laborers, and I worked on the railroad while I was in college with my dad, working as a brakeman in the yard in the union. So by the time I got there, there just wasn't enough emphasis on labor. And so when I found out about this co-op, I felt like this is an answer to productivity, to like, talk about dignity and self-worth of laborers, because I hated going to that, both of those jobs. I mean, there was the, I couldn't see myself waking up every day going into working in a, in a um, Ford uh, factory on the line doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again every day. That was drudgery to me, even at at 18 years old. I couldn't see that doing that for 50, 60 years. I would have been an alcoholic by now, and there was a lot of drinking on that job. Okay. So when I heard about this index, let me ask you this then. 
why do you want to do this study? What's the outcome that's expected? Or what is the outcome you're trying to measure? You know, I, I think it's about how how do we uh, really create that cooperative difference? Uh, we, you know, it's something we, we always talk about in the co-op world. What is that, that difference about co-ops? And, and, and like you said, uh, you know, for most corporations, it's about the return on investment. But, uh, for instance, at Union Cab, our mission statement was to create jobs that living wage are better in a safe, humane, and democratic environment. You know, what I often, when I'm doing trainings, I talk about that because everything in that mission statement, if you were to map it financially, would show up as an expense. It wouldn't show up as equity. It wouldn't show up as, as revenue, right? And so um, worker co-ops have a little bit different concept than just maximizing uh, return to an investor. Um, in fact, for worker co-ops, they get their their equity and their benefit and their differences in having safe equipment, having, uh, a, you know, a uh, humane workplace. So it was, it's so thinking about that. How do you measure democracy in a in a in a co-op? How do you measure solidarity, and and how do you build those structures in place so that you really are creating a difference and not just recreating some of the problems that might exist in the industry? And, the, in, and for instance, you know, the taxicab industry can be a very brutal place for for workers. And so, if all you're doing is um, adding ownership, but you're not changing the brutality of the work, but then you're not necessarily really changing anything. And you're not really giving either the workers or the consumers a reason to to change their behavior either. So this is what I like about co-ops is that this sort of dignity that you talked about earlier, this safe environment that you're talking about for the workers, uh, it's worker center. Uh, so, so in this capitalistic model, there are three main concerns uh, that I learned at Stanford, and that was profit is the first concern, profit is the second concern, and profit is the third concern. <laughs> in co-ops, it's people first, those workers in a worker co-op, uh, the planet second, the environment, and then profit is third. Profit is important. It's just not the beginning and the ending and the middle. It's not all. So... I wanted to see how you are measuring how good this model is in satisfying the people, the planet, and the profit. And so this is the first thing I've seen, this co-op index that looks like it's trying to get a measure for that. How productive is the organization given the values of the of the values and principles of co-ops and the mission statement? So I like it a lot. Can you give me some examples of people or ideas of how this thing sure. works? I mean, you know, we, we, um, you know, we worked with different organizations. I mean, we put it in the field and we tested it. So we worked with, and they, and then and this is a Canadian uh, research program, but they went out also and, and asked people, you know, what their experience was and, and, you know, people responded. They, so, you know, one person, one co-op mentioned that, uh, you know, after using the tool, they realized they had to, you know, quote, uh, you know, I'm kind of reading their quote here, to buckle down and address some issues that had been left unaddressed for a while. You know, one of the problems, I think, uh, that worker co-ops have is that very often they're so busy with operations, they don't take the moment to stop and and look at the system and, and take the time to address that because they're so busy, you know, just doing their work. And this allows them to, and relatively uh, 
simply you know take that moment and get some feedback on on what things they can do to improve. And so this you know the the project is like a, a thirty thousand foot view, but it also gives a street level view. Uh, other co-ops uh, the, that I've worked with, uh, so one is uh, Blue Scorcher in Astoria. It's a, a bakery and cafe. They um, they use it as part of their strategic planning process. So I think that's where the tool really has value is when it's used as part of something bigger, like uh, doing a social audit or or doing a strategic planning uh, exercise with the board, uh, you know, for the board retreat where you can not just have the information for the sake of having the information, but like you mentioned, I think before the break, that you know, uh, it's using that information that really gives the power, right, of the of the mm-hmm. tool. And so, I'm not sure if I'm really answering your whole question here, but um, well, let's go back to the bakery. Yeah. Let, let's talk about the yeah. bakery for a minute because that that strikes my curiosity because there's a bakery in Italy that's in that's inside the prison system. And so that the prisoners are part of this cooperative and they have people on the outside of prisons as part of this co-op and that they have these prisoners that work in the bakery. When they leave the prison, not only do they have a job, but they have a family to go to. They have people that care about them, that love them, and their recidivism rate is like 3%. They just don't go back to prison. And that to me says there's reasons that in the U.S. you may have 75% recidivism rate because of this this whole thing of where are they going to? A lot of times they're going back to the community they were in that's not supportive, not helpful. They don't have a job. They don't have a family. They're not loved, and they end up going back to sometimes purposefully going back to jail. So I like the idea of this bakery. So can you tell me how that worked, and, and did they use it as a strategy and how productive and the people were and all of that? So it's um, as their model. They have a unique management model. They use uh, sociocracy to to manage, and so sociocracy is where you have autonomous, uh, you know, work circles that are linked together. And and so uh, one of the interesting things about about that particular project is that they didn't really have job descriptions or written policies. So it was more about you know people would make the agreements and they would do the job. And it's a small organization, that, you know, the, with about. I think uh, 30 workers, and so um, you know I, we weren't able to do necessarily the the full sort of uh, structure of the index experience. Okay, but, so John, I, we're going to take our third and final break, okay. and when we come back, we'll talk more about this. And I want to talk a little bit more about sociocracy because I love that model. But we'll be right back, everybody. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we have John A. McNamara on the line with us today. He's a senior cooperative development specialist at the Northwest Cooperative Development Center up in Seattle, Washington. Uh, It's still early morning out there. John, we're talking about the index, uh, but before we get back into that, uh, there's four different types of co-ops. And we mainly talk about the index for worker co-ops. For those of you that may not know this, worker co-ops could be any business. It's just that the business is owned and controlled by the employees. So if you're working in a business, and particularly if that if that person is a senior, 
and he wants to sell the business, then maybe you want to look at converting it to where it's owned and controlled by the employees and people like John at the Northwest Community Development Center and and in here in D.C. and all throughout the U.S. can help you figure out how you can get that co-op to be owned by the, the members. And if it's uh, owned, if the business is owned and controlled by the people that uses the products and services, then it's called a consumer cooperative. So they have worker co-ops, consumer co-ops, and a consumer co-ops are housing co-ops, credit union. A lot of food co-ops are owned by the members that shop there. And a food co-op could be a hybrid. It could be owned by both the workers and the consumers. And there's two other types that a lot of farmers use. Artists are beginning to use them. And they, the first one is if a group of farmers come together and they create a business to buy their products that they need to produce whatever they're producing, it's called a purchasing co-op. There's one in D.C. called Consumer Purchasing Alliance that was created to help nonprofits and charter schools and churches buy things like uh, their gas or put up solar panels or copy machines, things that they need, a trash service. They bond together. They get a better product at a lower price. And the fourth one is if businesses or individuals come together to market their products. Uh, you may have a group of dairy farmers that come together and they form a Cabot Creamery or Orlando Lakes, or they could form Ocean Spray. Those are all types of cooperatives. And then there's a co-op in Pittsburgh, Ujama. That's a group of black ladies that have come together, and they are artists, and they uh, they do uh, jewelry and paintings and clothing, and they buy from other women of color throughout the world, and that's a marketing co-op. So these are your four types, and we have this index that's mainly been focusing on worker co-ops, and John said he would like to expand that, that they would like to expand that to other forms of co-ops. But you were explaining it, the, the purposes of them and giving us some examples. Do so you, you have any other examples, John, you want to talk to us about? Well, you know, I think of, of again, you know, without, you know, giving, <laughs> I don't want to necessarily call out any co-ops by name, but, you know, we've worked with uh, with one uh, some consumer co-ops that have uh, staff collectives as opposed to a traditional hierarchy. And I think, again, most of uh, what this does is, is it helps the co-ops kind of see um, – you know, where they can make improvements, but also it, it helps them see where they excel, where they're actually really hitting on the values and principles. And in a way, then they can you know, sort of use that to see, you know, where can they learn from the areas they're succeeding to help shore up the areas where they maybe need improvement. And so, um, you know, I mean, part of part of doing this uh, sort of work with the, with the co-ops is, you know, we don't, you know, unless they really tell us we can use their name, we don't, you know, their information. So um, okay. Bruce Gorchard, you know, told me they, that I could. That's why I mentioned them. So you just mentioned the principles. Uh, there are 1844 of the main seven principles, volunteer and open membership, democracy, democratic member control, member economic participation is the third one. The fourth one is autonomous and independence. The fifth is education, training, and information. The sixth is cooperation among co-ops. And the seventh is concern for the community. And you wanted to see how these different co-ops are working and these uh, principles. So what other principles? Uh, I know, for instance, Maurice Smith, who's the chair of NCB's boards, and he comes up through the credit union. They've created an eighth principle of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And he'll be on this program next Thursday. 
uh, some we're looking forward to that conversation. But Madrigan has 10 or 12 principles. They've expanded it. Yeah, most uh, we also include some of those. So participatory management is one of Mondragon's principles. Um, uh, uh, supremacy of labor, so putting uh, labor above capital, and that goes with uh, subordination of labor. And um, I think also, uh, I think wage solidarity is the fourth one. And so uh, that's kind of where we add those in as well. And then, of course, the values and, and uh, ethical values of, of cooperation. And so it's it's quite a lot to try to measure in one document. but uh, uh, And that's one of the things we found is that as we were looking at the results, um, uh, Richard Stocky, who was doing the analysis, really saw that what we were really measuring was human dignity in the workplace. And so the newer version of the COP index, which we're starting to test now, is only has about 63 questions instead of 173, and we're hoping eventually to get it available to people on a website so that people can just, uh, you know, download and, and do the survey part of it and hopefully work with a facilitator, uh, an outside facilitator in their community to, to work through some of the issues. But so the big issues that we're looking at now in the, in the newer model is human dignity, solidarity, social responsibility, and then you know, of communication and some other uh, sectors like that. So I like the, um, I, I don't know if it's Mondragon's motto or Michael Peck, who used to work with them, and he he's with the one member, one vote organization. It says, own your labor, own your labor and rent your capital. I like that, that, <laughs> that motto a lot. <laughs> and that seems like that's what you're talking about. But I also like this human dignity. That because it, when people went to work at Ford, uh, there was no dignity and no pride in going to that foundry and working every day. Matter of fact, I had it. Those guys really hated to come to work. Um, they made good money and they they provided for their families and had middle class jobs and all of that stuff, but they didn't like their work. Their work was pain and drudgery. And when the co-op world, it seems like everybody I asked, so ask, do you like your work? I love my work. <laughs> you already said you get up in the morning excited about going to work. And yeah, so you young people out there. It's incredible. I think uh, especially, you know, especially doing the development work, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting when you help people start a co-op. And then uh, there's one co-op I started working with a few years ago and they got through their startup phase. And I realized the other day I haven't talked to anyone in that co-op in almost a year and it used to be a, a weekly, almost daily discussion with them. And it's it's kind of sad because I miss them, but I'm also really happy that they're they're now leaders. People are now calling them to get advice on co ops and, and that's what it should be. That's what we want. We want we want to keep expanding this out and and passing the baton to everybody. So that's the cooperation among co-ops, the sixth principle, and also education, training, and information. What I've loved about this is when I've gone to different conferences, how people just give away information. They sort of support each other. They have a lot of pride in helping out somebody else that doesn't know. They've already been through it. And one group but that I like a lot this is a worker cooperative. I'm just losing their name. It looked like I saw them on your oh, Eco Exchange. 150-member worker cooperative. Uh, I learned about fair trade with them and a lot of stuff. They were on the show three times in December that first year. 
So, yeah, I like a lot what you're doing. I like my radio show, but I wouldn't mind be doing what you do. But I found out that there's so many really interesting jobs in this world, too, in this world of cooperation. I've, I've learned about more industries than I can even imagine that, that existed. I, I learned more about sheep farming and wool production than I you know, ever thought I would. So, and every day it's a different, it's, it's something new and exciting. And, and of course, what you do is, 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 in this show is really important. It's getting, getting this word out to folks is, is, you know, even today, I'm always surprised when people say they've never heard about co-ops before, because of course I'm, I'm living in it. So um, it's great. It's, it's great. This show is available for folks and that it's now a podcast. I'm not surprised. And that's the reason for this. I, I grew up in the housing co-op sector, and a guy named Roger Wilcox, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago at 97, and Herb Fisher, who's probably in late 80s or 90s now, they taught me a lot, and they believed that if you if developers built co-ops, then people would buy them. And I went back to them after hearing this for five years or so. People got to know about them, and they don't. So that's how this program mm-hmm. got evolved. Yeah. You only have a minute left, sir. How would you like to leave people? What message would you like to leave people with? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm kind of stumped. Uh, I would say, you know, we, we're in living in a, a special moment for co-ops now. Um, it's, it's it's our moment to really change our society. And um, I think we need to look at the coming year as, as the beginning of a, of a co-op century. Beginning of a co-op century. And with that in mind, everybody, I would really like to encourage you to go to USPS, United States Postal Service, USPS.coop, and sign up. The cooperators are campaigning for the Postal Service to get the Senate to pass a $25 billion appropriation that the House has passed twice now. Uh, so if you sign up for that, so we'll send it to the senators to get them to uh, give money so that we'll have the postal service for the, for these rural places, and I think of Seattle, Washington, <laughs> Idaho, and Portland. There's a lot of rural places. Thank you, John. Thank you very much you. for getting up early and coming coming on, sharing this information. And everybody out there, have a wonderful week. Live cooperatively, and we'll be with you next Thursday with Mr. Maurice Smith. Have a great day. <laughs>